today's lesson is from Kyle Eidelman, and the last lesson is called Run Your Race. By the way, that's something only you can do is run your race. Sydney, Australia in the year 2000. She had been legally blind for more than 22 years. She had a degenerative eye condition known as Stargardt's disease. Not that any of that stopped her from running in the Summer Olympic Games in Sydney. She qualified for the finals of the 1500 meter race, though she finished just behind the medal winners. It was actually her second Olympics. In Atlanta in 1996, she had originally gone to the trials for the seven-event heptathlon. She finished no better than 10th, and she was close to retiring from track and field, just discouraged, except for that someone noticed that she won the 800-meter run, the final event of the heptathlon, and she set an American record when she ran it. So she was invited to try out as an 800-meter runner for the Sydney Games. She hired a new coach, and she became a dedicated middle-distance runner, despite the fact that she was literally running blind. And she won race after race, eventually moving to greater distances and winning gold in the 1999 Pan-American Games in Winnipeg. Marla said that when she ran, she simply focused on the blob of bodies ahead of her. She tried to get in front of the blob. That final turn, she said, was the hardest because she could rarely make out anything. And she wasn't <clears throat> sure if it was the final turn or not. So she learned to listen to the crowd, learned to listen to the announcer. She set her course for the finish line, and she just kept running until she was sure the race was over. As we've seen, Hebrews 12 sees life not only as a race, but as a race with obstacles and entanglements. Like Marla, we become discouraged when we can't see the course ahead very clearly. And there are times in our lives when we're running, we look into the future, and it just looks like this fuzzy blob. There's other times where we can't tell whether we're in the home stretch or if the course is going to take yet another turn. The main thing is to keep running, to don't give up. The race isn't always to the swift. Sometimes it goes to those who just simply refuse to quit. Occasionally, like Marla, you may find yourself running blind. And that's when you lean forward. That's when you push yourself. <clears throat> legs churning with sheer grit and determination, or what we would call faith. Your eyes are focused on the prize. So when we were in the fifth grade, we both moved to the same street within about a month of each other. And so um, we, during that time, we became friends, and we would walk to school together and play in the neighborhood together. And then we went all through school, um, in middle school and high school, and we were just great friends. I know she was starting to look pretty good. <laughs> so, yeah, we started dating at the end of our senior year and dated that summer. And so we got married, and then soon after that, just through his um, his family life and just watching his parents interact and his siblings and things like that, 
they love God so much. And that really was a turning point in my spiritual walk with the Lord um, that I saw their love for Christ. And so I started falling more in love with the Lord and, and with Chris. And, um, and that just really um, sparked my relationship with him. The first 20 years of our marriage were, it was a storybook marriage. We, we didn't fight. I mean, we hardly ever fought and uh, did a lot of things together serve the church together, enjoy our kids, vacationing and camping. Just, we just did a lot of things as a family, and it was a great family, great relationship. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says in Galatians 6, 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So Paul would often use the imagery of running a race, but here he uses an agricultural image. So if we keep sowing, if we keep planting, even when we feel weary and worn out, then eventually the harvest will come. If we could mix our metaphors just for a moment. If you take one step at a time, if you plant one seed at a time, and you keep running, and if you keep planting, eventually you reap a harvest. Now, the real reason many of us give up running the race is we underestimate the importance of just taking one step at a time. Focusing intentionally on taking the next step and not focusing so much on that big number. And this can be applied in all kinds of ways, right? It can be applied to uh, your finances. It can be applied to your marriage. It can be applied to uh, your parenting, to housework, to schoolwork. You can have good intentions of affirming love to your spouse. But if those intentions don't translate into action, if you're not doing anything to actually demonstrate that love, then nothing has happened. It means planting seeds and taking the next step. That's when the harvest will come. Things started changing in our family, and um, our son, our oldest son, was um, in college, and he would be married soon. And then, you know, our other sons also, then they would be going to college. I didn't adjust to that very well. Colleen adjusted way better than I did. She was ready for them to move out. I, I, I was very close to him, and so that changed the dynamics of our home. During that time, I felt like we were more um, battling each other. We were more at odds with each other. Um, I spent a lot of time telling Chris how to do things and correcting him in front of the kids. And so that brought us to a point of um, being, I guess, um, sort of living parallel lives. My heart hardened towards the Lord and towards my family and towards my wife and towards my marriage. I had my first affair and confess that to Colleen. That just shocked me that that was happening. But we didn't reach out for help. And looking back, that's where we made our mistake. The shame and the guilt, um, basically took me over. And I, I couldn't get past it. And so my heart began to harden again but in my heart i just said you know if he ever does this again i'm i'm done i'm finished um so then about a year after that i found out that he had had two more affairs and so i was just done i said you know this is it it's over running the race requires discipline at any moment the easy move is to stop and catch your breath but you know that if you keep making easy moves 
You're never going to finish the race. Moment by moment, that means we need to align our actions with our intentions. An example of this is when Jesus called his disciples to follow him. Each one of those disciples is faced with a moment of decision. In Luke 9.23, Jesus offers an invitation that if you want to follow him, you need to take up your cross every day and follow him. It's the everyday part that we're talking about. It doesn't happen by accident. It requires discipline and intentionality. So after Jesus issues this invitation, there's a man that comes and expresses a desire to follow him. And he says to Jesus the right thing. He has a right intention. He says, I will follow you wherever you go. Clearly, he has every intention of doing that. But then Jesus says to him, well, you know, the animals, foxes and birds, they have homes but I have no place to lay my head. And so suddenly the man is forced to confront his good intentions, and he's not ready for it. He's not ready to put the action behind what he said he was willing to do. So the question is, are you willing to move beyond just having good intentions? Could be little things like um, reading to the kids at night after you had a hard day at work. Maybe it's saying you're sorry after an argument. when. You know an apology would mend things? Are you willing to actually take that step? Maybe it's admitting you've wronged someone when they don't even necessarily know what you did. Maybe it's reaching out to that coworker who needs some encouragement, even though your boss has been equally hard on you. The idea is that you look at the race you're running, and you decide you're not just going to have good intentions, but you are going to take some steps, that there's going to be action so I confessed to the entire family uh, what had been happening over the past four years. And nobody knew. Nobody had any idea. Packed up my bags, all my kids watched me walk out of the house. But the Lord showed me um, 1 Samuel, I think it's 15, 12, and it says, watch and see this great thing I'm about to do before your very eyes. And when I sensed the Lord showing me that, I sort of said to God, um, you've had your chance, and no, I'm not going to wait and watch and see anything because you're not doing anything in my marriage. I knew I needed to get right with the Lord and to be restored with him. For the first time in months, I could feel God's presence. Just, just the peace that I had in that hotel room that he was close. I started watching because God was doing things in Chris's life that I had been praying about and wanting to have happen. And so I knew it had to be the Lord. And I felt like if the Lord was in it, and if the Lord was doing this, and he told me to watch and see, that I was going to be in it too. I could trust God. I knew that God, at that point in time, God was involved and was working. I read my Bible that night, and the words were alive. And I would walk in and just see evidence of what God was doing and the um, music he was listening to and his Bible was open and he was wanting to study with me and um, he would call and want to see what I was studying that day so that he could join in and um, I was seeing those evidences happening in his life. 
I looked down at my hand and I could see that I didn't have a ring. And I heard a voice like, like I'm talking now, that just told me, you need to go buy a ring. And I went to the store and bought this ring. And so after I bought it, I took a picture of it and sent it to Colleen. And I, I had no idea that that was an issue for her. None at all. When he wrote to me or texted me that he had bought a ring, and I hadn't been hounding him at all about that, though I'd been hounding him about other things, um, I knew that was the Lord. Because that's the only reason, that's the only reason that he would have gone to get a ring, because it was just not a part of his life for many years. And so I knew at that time, um, God told him to do it. And so I texted back, you're walking back to me. I could tell that something was very different. That was the turning point for her to, in my mind, consider keeping me. Another reason we don't focus on the next step, another reason why we tend to get caught between intention and action, is we convince ourselves it's too late now. I'm already reaping what I sowed. Maybe I could have been more intentional 10 or 20 years ago, but what can I do now? Regret keeps us looking back and prevents us from taking the next step forward. But don't give up just because you don't have much time left. If anything, this is the time in the race that you push hard and give it all you have. The writer of Hebrews doesn't suggest some sketchy source of courage and confidence. The whole book is based upon the supremacy of Christ. How? In comparison after comparison, Jesus is better. He is better than anything we have clutched or depended upon. He is the solid foundation. So we don't give up because no matter what we're facing, Jesus is better. No matter how deep the hole, Jesus is deeper. No matter how dark the prognosis, Jesus is the one who brings light that chases the darkness away. Hebrews 12, 2 says, we fix our eyes on Jesus. So when you're facing a frightening situation, you fix your eyes on your source of strength. It's your confidence in Christ that will give you the courage to endure and the strength to not give up. So grab hold of that with both hands and don't let go. Immediately after we um, were separated, um, Chris, I, I think it was the next day, um, called the counseling center because he knew that he needed to get into some counseling. We both did. Um, but he was going to take action right away and do something. And so um, within that first week, he had already been into counseling a couple times. Um, and we did find a really great counselor. And, um, and then I also went to the same one. And sometimes we went together and sometimes we went apart. There's not a day that goes by that I don't remember what I've done, but it doesn't have a hold on me because of the way God has forgiven me and how he's cleaned it up and healed me and healed our marriage. He was able to move back in. We talked it all through. The counselor really felt like we were in a healthy enough place to do that. And, and our counselor also uh, made it real clear to us, just because you're moving back in doesn't mean the work is over. And I think that our um, resolve to stay together, our resolve to work things out, even became greater um, because it was a big part of being back in our home and knowing this is what we've worked for all these years, and we didn't want to lose that. Uh, all of our children have uh, expressed forgiveness and have moved on. 
it's a really wonderful thing to be in a place of knowing that the Lord has brought us both through this fire, um, this tough time. But to God, that's an easy thing to do. I mean, he can heal anything. And so he did heal both of our hearts. He continues to change us. You have to want it. You got to want it more than anything else in your life. You've got to want to be healed. And so I would encourage people, anyone who's going through any tough situation, to really watch for God. And even if the big victory isn't right on the horizon, watch for the little things that he's doing because he is at work. And I can look back and see that he was doing little things all along if I'd really just seen them um, that would have given me hope all the way through that. Um, and then really just fixing your eyes on what God is doing because by staying in the word that kept me strong, that kept me um, able to, um, to know that God was with me and walking with me. Hebrews 12, 3 reads, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that he will not grow weary and lose heart. That phrase, lose heart, is also translated as discouraged, or even more literally, so that you do not lose courage. And Christians often lose courage because life just hasn't turned out the way they thought it would, hasn't turned out how they'd hoped. When we put our confidence in our circumstances, and our circumstances don't go as planned, then our confidence is shaken. You thought your health would be better. You thought your marriage would be better. You thought your job would be better. Your children would be better. Your finances would be better. I get it. But Hebrews 12 says that when your confidence is shaken and your courage is slipping, consider Jesus. Jesus is better. Spend some time thinking about Jesus and what he endured and how he suffered for you. When you consider that Jesus endured such pain on the cross, it will give you confidence that you can endure too. If your confidence is in yourself, eventually that confidence will be tested and found wanting. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you got by on self-confidence just fine. It worked great for you until it didn't, until that confidence was tested. It worked great until you got the diagnosis from the doctor. It worked great until your wife said, it's over. It worked great until your family and friends met you in a room for an intervention. It worked great until you discovered the secret text messages. It worked great until you heard the word autistic. It worked until you found yourself filing for unemployment. It worked great until kids started bullying you online because of your beliefs, or coworkers started to ostracize you because your commitment felt like an indictment on their compromise. And at some point in this race, I'm just telling you, if your confidence is in yourself, you will be exposed. I love the command in scripture that says take heart. Because when the Bible tells us to take heart, it's not a confidence in ourselves. It's a confidence in God based on something that's real. It's not a contrived self-confidence. It's a confidence in who he is. I know all about the world and what it throws at you. You have worries and doubts and lapses of confidence. I, I know you wake up sometimes consumed by sheer fright, paralyzed. But instead of telling Jesus about your worries, talk back to those worries for a change. Interrupt them. Be downright rude to your worries and tell them about Jesus. Tell them that he is better. He's better than they are. He's better than the world itself. Worries never last, but Jesus is forever. Jesus is better. Put your confidence in him. Take heart. Don't give up.
You know, when you decided to follow Christ, uh, you entered into a great partnership with God. Now, the interesting thing is maybe you've entered into some partnerships with other people this way. God is fully able to do the whole thing, but he won't, will he? No. He invites you to enter into a relationship with him where you have a part to play. You have a role in the whole thing. Not because he needs you, but because you need to be involved. We're reminded today that regarding this grand part, God is always faithful. And he invites us to do the same. Let's stand together and sing. Mm -hmm. 